What's going on, everybody? Back again for another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. And today's guest is a little different. We've got country music star and Vancouver Canucks alumni team member Aaron Prichette. Aaron is a Juno nominee and CCMA award winner and one of the main fixtures in Canadian country music. He's also a giant Canucks fan. And we discuss his love of the team and his experience with the alumni. Aaron is uh, in the process of renovating a house right now, but you can check him out on social media and see what he's up to, and hopefully he can get back to making some more music soon. I also just personally want to thank Aaron for taking the time to record this episode just a couple days prior to Christmas. As always, guys, with the show, make sure to rate and subscribe on your preferred platforms. And with that being said, let's get into some hockey talk with Aaron Prichett. Guys, we're back again. Uh, another episode of Hockey Talk with Ryan Hawk. Uh, today, a little bit of a different guest. We've got uh, country musician Aaron Prochette joining the show. Aaron, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to this. How's, uh, how's life right now for you? You're out uh, on Vancouver Island. Uh, what's going on out there? Well, it's been pretty slow. I mean, given uh, everything that's been happening lately for the last, I don't know, nine, ten months, something like that. Uh, my world has completely changed, I guess. I mean, I went from a touring musician to a stay-at-home, do-nothing, uh, work on your music, which is good. But uh, sadly, I can't go play hockey. I, I can't do uh, a lot of things that I love doing so much, and especially being on the road and, and uh, promoting music and going out playing for uh, – thousands and thousands of fans which is strange now i sit in this little room and and uh do things like this but i although i'm very thankful i get to do these uh there is a part of me that really misses the road yeah i was gonna say uh sitting in that room just answering strangers emails so that's uh that's about what you're up to now that's <laughs> well i figured uh <laughs> i figured we'd dive right into it aaron um sure Obviously, you got the jersey on, uh, oh, yeah. so I know I know you're a Canuck fan. Um, <laughs> but at, at what age did you start following hockey? Oh, you know what? To be honest, I don't remember how old I was when I started watching. It was that uh, that young. I would say I was always enamored by you know seeing the white screen and things moving around on it uh, from a really young age. And from my mom, what my mom tells me, uh, I, I was really really young and just would sit there and stare at the TV. So. It uh, it got into me very, very young. Uh, my dad was a huge Canucks fan. Uh, and being born myself in 1970, now that I'm dating myself, uh, I always, you know, held a connection to the Canucks. That was their inaugural season. So uh, it, it just was in me. And when I moved to a town where I could play hockey, I had to play hockey. And that's what I did. And continue to do so when I can, uh, when we're allowed um, to this day. Yeah, so what, what age did you start playing hockey then? I was actually seven years old, seven or eight years okay. old. Uh, I moved to a little town called Kitimat up north in BC and uh, <clears throat> really bugged my parents because we lived in an area in BC up in the Fraser Canyon. Uh, we owned a, a truck stop and it was called the Jackass okay. Inn, no kidding. <laughs> For anybody around that era that drove through the canyon, there was, there was no Coquihalla Highway back then. So they had to go through the canyon in order to get to Cache Creek or to Prince George or anywhere north. Uh, so anyways, when we lived there, there was no hockey in, in anywhere close except Hope. And they weren't willing to make a drive at 
four o'clock in the morning to have a 5.30 practice and then get back in time for school. So uh, things were a little tough back then, but we moved to Kitimat and boom, it opened up. Everybody played hockey and it was very inexpensive to play. And I got all this old crappy secondhand gear that stunk, but I, I didn't care. It didn't matter. You know, like I was just, I had skates on my feet and I was out there skating and, and, uh, and started probably about seven or eight, I guess. Yeah. Were you initially, were you drawn to be a defenseman or centerman, winger, just no, whatever? I, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, well, it wasn't really whatever. I guess when I first started playing, it's like most kids just put them out there. They gravitate towards a position or another over, you know, a year or two. And for me, it was, uh, you know, I was always wanting the puck. I guess I was a bit of a puck hog <laughs> and, and uh, I was quick which was yeah. really handy. So uh, good on my skates, which was also really important to have, obviously. But um, <clears throat> as I grew older, uh, I turned into a right winger and kind of stuck with that. I'm, I'm a little guy. I'm not very big. I'm only 5'6 now. And growing up, I was kind of always the small kid, and uh, but I was the quick one, which was good. So and just, uh, you know, naturally turned into a speedy right winger. And I guess my, my hero back when I was eight years old was uh, actually Guy Lafleur because he was so... Okay fast and he was a right-handed shot and I was you know uh, just uh, kind of enamored with him yeah was there a, uh, I guess those early Canuck teams weren't that great but did you have a, a Canuck player favorite player growing up or well you know I I, I mean I, I always watched the Canucks but I wasn't uh, thinking back now I can't remember exactly who the players were at the time when I was really young uh, because really what we got on TV was uh, all the Montreal and Toronto games. So I'd constantly yeah. see the Montreal because we only had two channels. <laughs> and uh, one of them was CBC. We'd always get Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday and uh, the odd game here and there uh, from the Canucks. But I didn't really totally know the players. And yet the Canucks were my team. That's that's what I knew. I would live close to them and always wanted to go see a game when I was a kid. And, and uh Growing up, um, when I first really got to know who the Canucks were, was on the 82 run uh, to the cup okay. final against the yeah. Islanders. And you see the players then, you know, Stan Smeal, Darcy Rhoda, Harold Snaps. I mean, the list just goes on. Uh, and and now for me, you know, to be able to play with these guys and they're all, you know, bumping elbows with you and, and uh, giving you a hard time. Um, those were the early guys that I watched and went, wow, this is crazy to watch this this kind of hockey with now I know who these guys actually are because I get to watch you know uh, more than one game every three or four months so and that that was kind of when the turning point was in 1982. Yeah so growing up then how did that work where you were were you able to try out for rep teams or, or did you have a, a you know were you, were you thinking NHL or, or was it just kind of <laughs> let's just get out there with my buddies and, and play? Yeah really basically the way it was was in Kitimat especially there was only one rep team so uh, yeah. there was no triple A, double A, single A, B, C hockey. No, nothing like that. It was uh, you either played house hockey with three or four other teams uh, or you're on the rep team where you traveled and you played Terrace or Prince Rupert or Vanderhoof for Prince George for tournaments or games like. Um, and that's uh, that was the one thing was to make the rep team. That's all there was to it. It was just, you know, the rep team. So in Adam, my uh, my first year, Adam, I actually made the rep team. So I played about three or four uh, league games for a house team. Never tried out for rep because I didn't understand what it was. And then when, uh, when I heard my cousin talking about it, who was on, he's two years older than me and he was on the rep team and he lived in Kitimat as well. And he was, you know, he was 
to me, my hero, my hockey hero, my, my personal hero as a, as a young boy. Um, and he, uh, he was talking about how he was on the rep team. And this is like, wow, I'd love to be on a rep team. I don't even know what the hell that means, but cool. <laughs> and what it was, was the better players, uh, the, you know, the more advanced players would play. And it was always the older kids. So in Adam, I remember I was uh, eight. And uh, there was all eight, nine, and 10 year olds. I was thinking I could never play at that level. And they, uh, they asked me on the team. I got, I got brought up to play on the rep team. And uh, I, I just went out and played. It wasn't that I was trying harder. Or I had a goal of, you know, making it to the next level or to, uh, nobody understood what it meant to, to try and make the NHL at that point, especially. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I made the rep team and, and, uh, for some reason I was the youngest kid on the team and, and, uh, one of the top scorers, which was pretty crazy. And for me, I was like, this is my second year of Adam actually, or uh, my second year playing. Yeah. Um, and I was advancing at a pretty quick rate, but yeah. And as I got older, I was always on rep teams and skipped a year when I was 12 and, uh, still made the uh, rep team, um, the following year. And I guess, you know, it was just, something that's ingrained in me like I said it runs through my blood I, I used to sleep in my hockey gear when I was a kid because I was so excited to go to my practice the next morning oh, you yeah. know getting up at two o'clock in the morning going downstairs sitting on the couch watching tv at two o'clock and waiting for the clock to get to <laughs> five thirty or six so that I could go to my practice and uh yeah I mean it's it's something that I've never let go of and and like <clears throat> NHL players that I play with now they say if they had an opportunity to become a musician, they would have, and it's vice versa for us. It's like if I could have played hockey professionally, I would have chosen that over over music uh, industry, hands down. Really? Eh? So you got guys that, you know, you mentioned that you are a part of the alumni team. Like yeah. there are guys that say, hey, you know, I mean, what's their reason? Was just less uh, less injury risk or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're kind of, uh, you know, I guess all of us are, we're uh, kind of attention seeking really when it comes down to it, right? We're, we're, uh, we're entertainers and yeah. regardless of, of whether or not we play, you know, hockey or whether we're on a stage, I think what I got out of it was a bit of a, I really get to interact with crowds. I get to play up yeah. to crowds when, you know, COVID-19 isn't around and you get to touch them and you get to perform for them and they, uh, they show their adoration for what you're doing and uh maybe who you are as an artist um <clears throat> so when when hockey players see that they're always so secluded they don't get yeah. that you know being out in the public kind of thing and uh they can't really necessarily go uh they, they're on the ice they're putting on a show but they're doing a job while they're on the ice whereas me i'm doing my job on a stage but i get to still interact with these people and i think i think that's the one element of of uh their showmanship that's missing for them is that they don't get to you know actually interact with crowds and that's it is a rock and roll lifestyle i guess but at the same time i still would have loved being uh, being on the ice and sitting on the bench with those guys and and uh that would have been a a, a lifestyle i could have gotten used to no problem yeah i was gonna say being a smaller guy now in today's game would have would have helped right i mean that was back then uh even 10 years ago you guys were six foot five getting drafted first round and now they're now they're doing my podcast for <laughs> not playing pro anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because all the little guys like Johnny Hockey and you know, yeah, yeah, Quinn Hughes is lighting <clears throat> you know, it up. Cliff Ronning was a huge hero of mine, obviously when uh, in the '90s, early '90s, when when he first came to the Canucks, and I, I kind of followed him anyways because he's a Burnaby boy. And, yeah. uh, 
you know, watching him and going, he's five foot eight. And he's out there with these guys that are six, four, six, five. And he's skating around him. Like he's still quick. And then even around that same era with, uh, um, with, uh, well, even probably before with Theo Fleury, same sort of thing, you know, these little guys, Theo's my height. He's, you know, a little thicker than me, but he's, he's my height. And back when I was a kid, when I was 16 playing rep hockey, I didn't really ever think of making the NHL. I just played hockey because I love playing hockey and I, I was good, but, um, I don't think I was ever going to be at that level, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, watching those guys gave me motivation of just keep playing. And I, I remember one particular incident when you talk about me being small and when I'm on the ice, I don't think about anybody else's size ever. I never do even to this day. And there's been guys that are tower over me and are two times as wide as I am. Um, but I never see it like that. I see the ice. And I remember one time in particular, I got a real eye opening, uh, because I was, I was, I actually, this guy had to be about six, six and he and I are in front of the net and we're starting to get really choked at each other and slashing. And he's, you know, uh, cross-checking me from behind. Finally, I turned around. I, I, I just cross-checked him in the chest and, you know, he gave me a shove and I went to turn around and the puck back then, I wasn't wearing anything but a helmet. Just that's it. The puck just went from the point right off the front of my helmet. And I went, okay, I'm a little guy. It doesn't take much, you know, for me to get hit in the face. Puck doesn't have to get raised up that high. I better watch what I'm doing now. (laughs) Pay a little more attention and quit worrying about, uh, you know, the bigger guys on the ice picking on me. So (laughs) yeah. Back then you didn't have like the full cage, like the kids wear now. It was just kind of the, was it a half shield or? No, this this is rec hockey. This wasn't oh, really. Okay. Yeah. yeah, this is after I stopped playing minor hockey. Back in minor okay. hockey, yeah, uh, we we had everything. Uh, we didn't have the neck neck guard. And yeah. I remember, uh, not to have a morbid story, but I remember when the neck guard started when they got brought into the uh, minor hockey. Uh, uh, well, you know, you had to part of the rules to wear one. Uh, was because the kid out in White Rock got uh, he got his neck cut and unfortunately passed away from his injury, so oh, they brought those in. But yeah, we didn't really we didn't have to wear those. We didn't wear much. Like I remember being no. when I was a kid, our helmets were that thick. You know <laughs> the the cages on them. The the I swear the uh, the puck could have easily gone through these things. They're like a lacrosse mask. You know, yeah, yeah. Lacrosse shield. Yeah, not so yeah. much. Now I wear the full, <laughs> I wear the full plastic <laughs> shield with you know <laughs> mouth and everything's all you know, and the full neck guard up to here. Yeah. You can barely move up there. I'm just wearing a bulletproof vest out there now. It's kind of uh, have to. It's yeah, uh, it, you know, it, it, that's right. Yeah, yeah. This is the money, Aaron. If you get this goals, that's it, right? <laughs> that's right. I, like I know because even when I played, it was you know I played in the '90s and it was you did the the, the gear drives, kind of what you were saying, right? Is that you all? It was yeah. all secondhand. It was all passed down, and then kind of like 2004 was when they got like the the helmets came with like the foam in it, and then all of a sudden there was all this technology and sticks and gloves and. I mean, now I don't understand any of it, but uh, then again. And how many concussions have you had? See, that's, <laughs> it. See, that's the thing I tell people. I go, I played hockey and lacrosse in the 90s. We didn't know too much. And now I, I have trouble saying words with more than three syllables. So I think there was probably a couple <laughs> of things that, that went wrong and we just never knew, yeah. right? So, um. no, no. I, borrowed, I even borrowed my buddy's uh, Jopa helmet, the, the dressy one from <laughs> yeah. way back when. Yeah. And I, I went head first into the boards. And I thought this 
thing is absolutely useless. Why did they wear these yeah. things? It's, it's, yeah, you may as well just have taken it off before you went <laughs> into the board. <laughs> yeah. Did that thing have any uh, any foam in it or anything? Because I, I remember seeing like Nothing. Solani used to wear that and it looked like just the shell. That was yeah, it was, uh, that's all it was, was uh, it was just the shell. And then they had um, some, some plastic or kind of rubbery plastic that was, you know, attached to the sides and it would sort of just sit on your head kind of floating there. I mean, it was useful. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it may as well have been Jeez. saran wrap. Yeah. Jeez, eh? <laughs> well, I want to get into uh, some Canuck talk with you and, and uh, we'll, sure. we'll talk about the current team as well. But um, mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing that this city is, this province has seen in the last handful of years, obviously, is the 2011 run. Um, yeah. And we saw the Sedins coming into their prime. We saw, you know, Ryan Kessler was a 40-goal Selkie Trophy winning number two center. We had, you know, Luongo and Schneider. Like, and that team, quite honestly, is, is probably the best team that's never won a cup, I would say, because they were leading all the statistical categories. What do you remember from that 2011 run? I remember uh, my first memory when I think of that is, about midway through the second period, getting up and going out and playing basketball with my son because I was so frustrated. It was, I think it was four nothing by that point. And I just went, okay, this is over. I'm, yeah. if I'm either going to wreck my entire home or I'm going to do something that I should do is go play basketball with my kid. So, uh, but other than that, no, the run itself, oh, man, you know, magical. I, I, I remember 94 very fondly, but I couldn't pay attention to it as much because I was working a lot back then. Uh, and I just sort of heard about it on the radio or in the news or, or whatever it was later, but, and watched some games, but with, with 2011, I thought, it, you know, I thought the stars are aligning. It's my 40th birthday, 40th year. It's their 40th year. You know, like this is all going to work out great. My son and I got tickets to game one of, of, uh, the finals and they won one, nothing. And it was like, okay, this is, this is all lining up. We're going to be finally having a cup in Vancouver yeah. and uh, watching the team and, you know, like and some of the guys I get to play with now too, which is pretty cool. Um, but when you're, when you're watching those guys play and just the, the excitement level goes from this to this, to this, to this, and then you're in the finals and you've, you're up three games to one and or whatever it was, or three games to two. And uh, yeah. you know, you're on the cusp of, of winning a Stanley cup and, and it just kind of all imploded. And I felt really terrible for the guys because, you know, it's, it's a game, first yeah. of all. It's just a game. Um, but everybody really started uh, getting a little too serious about it at times, and including myself, to the point where I was so frustrated and slamming things and, and uh, kind of had to step, step back and go, my son's here watching me. He's, I guess, 2011. He was like nine years old, eight years old. And I thought, well, am I going to show him this? side of me or am I going to go let's go huck the ball around so yeah. we decided to get up and I, I kind of knew it was over at that point and uh and and even if they did win then like great that'd be awesome but you know I, I couldn't stand watching it anymore and and had to uh get up and and walk out and even the guys that I talk to now uh that played in those games they're like yeah it was it was hard to sit there for the third period especially the last 10 minutes and knowing that this was almost impossible to come back from and we're letting down 20,000 people in the building and I, you know, millions, uh, a couple million across the province and any other fans anywhere else. Yeah. They just felt so dejected. And I was like, you know what? It's great entertainment. 
It's really what it's all about. It was awesome entertainment. We came that close. Now we just got to keep trying again. And uh, I'll be honest, you know, when it comes down to it, I really feel like a lot of things, you know, you go through the conspiracies and you're like, they, you know, they, they, Aaron Rome did not deserve that much of a, uh, you know, uh, 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 to be uh, 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 that much of a, uh, you know, to, to get what, what I'm, I'm having a brain fart here, but well, you, got um, you know, games. suspended hit, suspension. Yeah. yeah, you got a three game yeah. suspension for that hit. And, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, pretty crazy hit, but at the same time, I, none of us felt, and I wasn't being biased just because I'm a Canucks fan, but I just felt it was a bit much. And then, you know, how much uh, 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 the Sedins got picked on, especially Henrik. And they, they let them, they let them do that. They let them they let that all pass. So it was a little frustrating, but at the same time, again, it's a game and, and, you know, you're going to win, you're going to lose. And that's just the way it is. But it was, it was sure fun to watch. Yeah, I do remember that was, uh, I think it was Greg Campbell was on the Bruins and his dad was the, whatever, the disciplinarian yeah. of the Campbell. NHL or something right. like that. And, Campbell, and yeah. so I remember, and it, you know, yeah, I, I agree. And I, listen, I'll be honest, I'm not like a Canuck fan. I'm actually a Washington fan. But so from my oh, yeah. unbiased standpoint, I remember thinking, you know, three games, I think, and it, it was three games in the cup finals, which was like a record. It was like unheard of to get three games. Yeah. And then you see Marchand, you know, rabbit punching Sadine. You see like Johnny Boychuk. I think he broke a bone in Mason Raymond's back or something. And there Mason was Raymond's nothing. Back, yeah. And yeah. it was, it was, you and know, he literally I, drove him into it, drove him into the boards backwards. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say like, Oh, it's, you know, these crazy Canuck fans are just conspiracy <laughs> theorists. Cause I think it's like when you really go watch all the footage from that, that playoff run, it was like, Hey, they might be onto something here because it just seemed like you know, just it just kind of seemed a little bit much. But I guess that's yeah. what the Bruins were were kind of known for. Um, I want to fast forward to the team today because watching sure. watching this team, the pieces are there. You got a number one center uh, who's going to be a superstar. You got a number one defenseman. You got now Thatcher Demko is is going to be the number one goalie, and he's uh, he's still a pretty young guy. Um, the Canadian division is a, it's going to be a thing. I don't know where the Canucks are going to play, but, uh, do you think that, you know, the Canucks can come out maybe in the top two? I actually do. Uh, I think the Canucks, uh, are, are poised to be a powerhouse. Um, especially with Holtby, Holtby, uh, you know, as one, two or one, a one B. Um, and you must be kind of happy about that, him coming over from Washington, or you might have mixed feelings about that. I, I don't know, but, uh, um, yeah, I think they're they're very strong. And even though some of the pieces left, Tapoli's gone. Um, he, you know, he was he was a good a good piece for last year, but yeah. I don't think he was necessary for the season coming up or the next few seasons. Um, I still don't see I don't actually see the Canucks winning the cup in the next year or two. But you know, as Quinn Hughes gets better and better and better and matures that much more same thing with Patterson you know Horvat is a stud but he's also a really great leader and he's still got four or five years before he peaks uh in my opinion and there's so many pieces on that team that they're really deep and and a lot of people took them for granted obviously last playoffs thinking well you know they're 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 so young there's no way that you know they can play in that game but the game is so young it's suited for all of these guys to play and the the gelling that they've done together is just incredible so when you have 
Uh, really great goaltending start there, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I think Markstrom, losing Markstrom didn't bother me in the least, personally. Uh, I thought he was really great. He's, he's yeah. definitely served his purpose, but I don't think he was uh, he was the reason why that team did so well. He was one of the one of the reasons for sure. Uh, but Demko came in and went, hey, I can do that too, and he did. <laughs> and I think he can continue to do that for the next several seasons, uh, along with Holpe and the, having them, you know, swapping all the time. I think it's. I think that's actually uh, um, this. Uh, I said that last year too. Funny when Holpe was Holpe was playing for the Capitals. I said he just needs. He's that guy. He's one of those guys that needs a change of scenery. And uh, he's just kind of, you know, stagnant. He's he's sort of bored. He's not too old. He's still young. So he's got lots of uh, lots of time ahead of him, and and still, you know, could uh, maybe we'll have a first tandem to ever win a Vesna Trophy. We'll see. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Yeah, Holtby's like he's kind of an eccentric guy. Obviously, there was the whole, you know, turtle turtle uh, gate at the border and everything, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I thought for two years yeah, for a guy his age, I think him and Markstrom are the same age. And you see Holtby get two years at less than 10 million and Markstrom gets six years at 36 million. Um, yeah. I was kind of, you know, I was sad to see Holtby go. I was happy he came to, the, to Vancouver and I'm hoping I'll, I'll get a chance to see him live in a Canucks jersey. But, um, I, you know, I think you're right. I think with, you know, Holtby being that guy that's won a Vesna, he's won a gold medal, he's won a Stanley Cup, and now he gets to take Thatcher under his wing and, and kind of help him along. I think he knows that's his role here, so I think he's uh, he's ready to do that. And then he'll probably end up in Seattle in a couple of years. But, um, probably. Yeah, but I mean, for the Canucks, so I think you're right. Like, I'm looking at the, you know, Toronto on paper, they look really good. Um, Calgary basically mm-hmm. stole half the Canucks roster, so we, you kind of know what you're getting with the Calgary Flames. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, Edmonton. Go ahead. I I was gonna say you just led right into it. Edmonton is uh, is the dark horse here. I mean, it's not like it's any surprise that that Drysaddle and and McDavid are uh, they're two of the best players in the league, and especially when they play together, they are the best players in the league. Um, But you know, it's filling in the rest of gaps. You know, nowadays you can't have the Edmonton Oilers with Gretzky, Messier taking in, you know, Curry, coffee. I mean, the, you just, yeah. now we, we're not, they're not allowed to afford it. So you can have those best players in the world, but you know, you got to surround them with what muckers you, you, you <laughs> want that really because you can't afford anything else in order to put a lineup on the ice. So um, I think, uh, I, you know, I don't know where the, the cap is or anything like that. I, I, I'm not necessarily a logistics guy, but if you play Moneyball, uh, they might be able to, they might be able to do some pretty amazing things. And, and that is the team, Connor McDavid and Drysaddle, but especially McDavid to me, cannot finish his career without at least one cup. And it would be sad to see him not win three or four. Yeah, I know. He's, I mean, I, I kind of feel like he's at this point, he's going to be the Ovechkin of his era and he's not going to get it till he's 32 or 33 and the team kind of figures it out but uh i mean yeah he's just he's so much have you seen him live at all have you been to a canucks game yeah Yeah, i've been i've yeah i've been to several games actually in edmonton uh one in calgary uh several in edmonton a couple in vancouver but i mean he is the wayne gretzky of our era to be honest he is the best player as far as i'm concerned all around uh you know with his speed and his talent and his just his hockey skill he really is the wayne gretzky of our era and to see him you know, so far, not even 
really get a sniff at a cup is just embarrassing for the league. Um, and, you know, maybe that's why I, I don't know what can save that or solve it, but, um, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see how he does and how much he steps up. I mean, he, he, he still led almost, he was in the top 10 in points for how long, how deep into the playoffs <laughs> was he in top 10 for 10 yeah. scoring? It was insane. And, you know, basically just doing it all on his own. Yeah, I thought the fact that he finished second in league scoring with, I think he had 97 points in, you know, 60 games or so. And, and I thought, you yeah. know, there were guys that played a full season, good good players that played a full season, and they couldn't even beat them. And it's no. just, uh, it's amazing <laughs> to see. Like, and it is, I, I went to a game, of, it was lower bowl, and he wound up behind the Oilers net got the puck and it was like, I got whiplash watching him skate by. I was like, this is, this is just, it's unbelievable. Like, how is this guy human? But, uh, but I mean, that's where the game's going. Um, Are there uh, any other teams that you follow at all? Any teams that you watch closely or players or anyone? I would have to say the Oilers were the other team just because I'm a McDavid fan. Uh, And I love, like I said, what Dreisaitl can do as well. And they've touted him, the Wayne Gretzky of Germany. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I just try and watch everybody as close as I possibly can, uh, Toronto for obvious reasons, cause we all want to see them lose, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there, uh, I, 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 I love seeing that, uh, Canadian teams can get into the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> one day I'd love to see all seven in the playoffs yeah. and, you know, each of them being able to win a first round together would be pretty crazy, but, uh, that's probably a long, long way. Back. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, other than that, I mean, uh, I love watching Sid. I love watching uh, separate players from each team. And I try and watch as many games as I can randomly of any. I've got the NHL package, so I just, you know, put on a game. It doesn't matter if it's Florida, Buffalo. I'll, I'll watch the game. I want to see who's playing. And, and some, of the, some of the guys I've met at golf tournaments that I play in, played in several golf tournaments and softball games and things like that in the summer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always, you know, watching Brennan Gallagher and Shea Weber and, and guys like that, that I've met over the last couple of years, especially, and, and just making sure that, uh, you know, they're doing well and that, uh, I'm always rooting for them and especially when they're playing on a Canadian team. So, but yeah, I, I mean, when it comes down to, uh, knowing a team and following a team as close as the Canucks, I guess the, the second team would be. The Oilers, and plus my uh, my my soon-to-be daughter-in-law uh, Danielle, she's from Edmonton, from the Edmonton area. So, you know, she starts crying when they lose the first game <laughs> of the season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. High it's hopes, over. and then, and then <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was gonna say high hopes, and after the first period of game one, she's probably like, no, no, next year, yeah. next year we're gonna. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah. man. What's um what's crazier to you, a, a hockey game crowd or a country music concert crowd? Well, I've done both and, and big, big stadiums and arenas like that. Uh, I would say the uh, the country crowd, the, well, the, the live crowd for a, yeah. a, a musical event is pretty loud and it's consistent uh, with depending on where you're going to watch the game. Uh, you know, in, in Vancouver, it's fairly exciting. Uh, Calgary's pretty good. Edmonton's really good. Toronto is uh, sometimes like watching paint dry. There's so many people there in suits and they're just kind of watching or they're talking or they're on their phone. It's mostly corporate. Um, and until the playoffs and then they actually let people that are real fans in. Um, but then you go to a place like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you go to a place like Nashville 
Have you ever yeah. been to Nashville or watched the game? You know what? I never, I haven't, but uh, actually Kelly Rudy was, he, he told me, he said, if there's one place to go, it's Nashville, <laughs> not just for music, but he said, I guess the 2017 cup, they went down there and yeah. he said it was unbelievable. And, uh, and it really is. It's incredible. Uh, you know, you go, you go down and watch these, uh, this game. Like I went down when they first uh, came into the league about two or three seasons into uh, after their first season yeah and they had no idea what the game was the place was you know three quarters full yeah. uh and in between periods you'd have there's dirk spanley he's on playing in between periods playing two or three songs and it's like oh that's cool uh you know they put on a show but now it's unbelievable so i went i went down there last year 2019 and, and uh watched a handful of games and they <clears throat> they don't really understand the game still <laughs> you know, when, when I first went, it was over the, the PA system. They're saying that was an offside. Yeah. yeah. When the, uh, the puck goes in across the line after the player crosses line, and like they're describing how the, the play is. So they're, they're educating these guys, which was great. But at the same time, uh, they still didn't understand, you know, why they're cheering. <laughs> they understood when they scored. That was it. Yeah. Uh, but then when, um, when I went down last year and went to a couple of games for the first time in several years, they knew more about the game, but they still didn't really know the game. And it was more about, you know, being a part of the crowd and watching this really fast game go by because they're so used to football. Um, And, you know, understanding that when there was a bad call, that was one thing I was impressed with. If the referee made a bad call, they'd get on the ref. Or they'd they'd had all these chants and things and songs and all kinds of stuff. It was pretty cool. And then they put on a show, but the one place I still haven't gone to that I was supposed to go to in March and then COVID hit my flight and and tickets got canceled was to Vegas because I've heard Vegas games are like no other. (laughs) You got to go in order to believe it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that about Nashville. I heard that when the Thrashers were in Atlanta, they used to, you know, like it would be icing and they'd have to, the PA guy, I'd have to get on and explain why that was, but I think that Nashville, when I watched the finals against Pittsburgh, like they seemed like they did a good job of incorporating, um, you know, like the local, like the, the Titans were there. I remember the guys shirts off rubbing yep. fish on themselves and, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all the country music singers that they brought in and everything. And yeah. it seems like it's more of a grassroots thing. Um, and I think hockey's, I mean, I'd love to talk to somebody within that organization, but I, I feel like hockey in Tennessee is going to be like California, like in the next probably five to 10 years, we're going to see first round picks coming out of, uh, out of that state. Yeah, I agree. And, and hockey really took off down there. Uh, I can't remember what year the, the predators came into the league, but they really didn't understand what hockey was, but there was a rank in the Nashville area. Uh, just not a lot of people played and it was very expensive to play. Okay. And Garth Brooks was one of the main guys who helped bring that team in. He was the biggest, you know, proponent of, of having an NHL team in Nashville and Nashville is not a very big city it's quite small actually I'd say it's yeah. about the size of maybe Calgary and okay. uh, the surrounding areas you know I mean it, it, and like anywhere in the states it just the surrounding areas go on forever they're all intertwined towns and cities down the states really um, <clears throat> but nobody knew what what hockey was and now you go down there and there's there's um, artist leagues where like Dirk Spanley does play he's 
pretty good, decent player. He can skate, you know, half decently well for somebody who picked it up at 30 something. Um, and, uh, and the list goes on. You'd be surprised how many guys actually play. And now there's, there's big leagues that, uh, that are coming out of Nashville and, and the Tennessee area. And they're starting to expand and it's starting to pick up more in Georgia and Virginia and, and the surrounding States, which is pretty, pretty wild to see. And, like it was back in the 90s when California and Gretzky was one of the main reasons why he went down there and, and really turned people on to uh, to this ice hockey thing. And now <laughs> we're seeing tons of players come from California and Arizona and, and all these different states and then playing the United States in the juniors or, or World Cup or or, yeah. uh, or the Olympics is a really hard thing to do nowadays because their players are just so good. And they're not all from you know, North Dakota, uh, Minnesota, <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota, Illinois, they're not all the Northern state guys. Now it's, it's, they're coming from the South. And, and I think one of the other things that was a key to all that was rollerblading because they could go rollerblading yeah. any time of year down there. Right. So I think that helped with, uh, with training and getting these guys to be at the level that, you know, the Austin Matthews are at, for example, and uh, all those Southern guys, you think they'd be out in the sun going to the beach in the summer and there they are rollerblading. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, and that is, that's a good point. Actually. I didn't even think about that. I know a lot of those, those, you know, California draft picks, that's how they say, right. They played in the roller hockey leagues and I, you know, uh, it's not quite the same as skating on ice, but they seem to make it work. Um, you yeah. mentioned Dirk, you mentioned Dirk Bentley there as well, having a, a good set of wheels on him. I saw him at the all-star game and I was like, his yeah. hands need a little bit of work, but he can fly. Um, do you have any uh, any rivalries with any of the, the Canadian country singers, anything <laughs> like that? You guys place bets or trash talk? or? Well, we don't really trash talk. Um, <clears throat> Dallas Smith is a, is a huge Canucks fan. Uh, he never played hockey himself, um, although I played in a, uh, a street hockey event uh, uh, to conquer cure, uh, uh, whatever. It was uh, Hockey Cures Cancer. Conquered yep. Cancer event, that's what it was called. And it was an outdoor street hockey uh, thing. And we had a whole bunch of teams in Dallas just playing on another team as, a, as their, you know, celeb. And uh, I was blown away at how good that guy is at street hockey. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he kicked my yeah. ass. He scored, I don't know how many goals that, that day. And I could barely get one or two. And he just kept popping them in. And I was like, I'm getting frustrated here. <laughs> and I played hockey my entire life. But I guess he played street hockey a fair amount. And he, he kind of admitted later, he's like, well, when I was a kid, that's all I did was play street yeah. hockey and never got to play hockey. So, but there's other guys like um, uh, Chad Brownlee, which you probably already know that uh, Chad's a BC boy. And he, um, he was uh, drafted by the Canucks back yeah. way back when. And never really got a chance to make it to the NHL because of injuries, but the guy's a good hockey player. I've played uh, many a game with him, and, and he's a really, really sweet hockey player. Um, but other than that, you'd, you'd, um, you'd be surprised by some of the guys that can play hockey in, uh, in yeah. the music industry. And guys like um, Jim Cuddy. Jim is a really great hockey player himself. And Yeah, and he's invited me to play on the uh, Juno Cup hockey game many right. many times uh well played i think about four times now and every time i go out there i'm always amazed at how how great a skater jim is and he always manages to find the net too and this is against ex nhl guys too right so um <laughs> yeah he's, he's pretty good and he's he's not getting any younger none of us are but at the same time he's not losing those wheels which is good <laughs> I was going to say you and you and Dallas Smith, I could see that headline, you know, two, two country stars 
duking it out at a charity street hockey <laughs> tournament or something. Like. And yeah, he, and he yeah it wouldn't take much with him. He's got a short, <laughs> short wick, so... Uh. <laughs> So when you're playing with those uh, Canucks alumni guys, you got any good stories of uh, any of the games? Like, is that just all intra-squad? You guys just throw no. sticks in the middle? or No, we've done lots of charity events where we play uh, teams that are from other towns. Like, you know, we've got a terrace and Smithers and um, all over the place uh, doing games to help raise money for the communities. And there was one in particular where um, we played – Oh, we went, we went down to Esquimalt. Yeah, we were playing at the military base, uh, the naval base in Esquimalt. And uh, Cliff Ronan couldn't be there. And who, he's, he's the go-to guy. Like, Cliff, yeah. you give him the puck, he's scoring, no matter what. <laughs> doesn't matter how good the players are on the other team. Cliff doesn't realize that, and he just goes and scores. Like, it's true. So he's still got it's the wheels? Oh, man. He's by far the fastest skater out there. He's by far the, uh, the, the slickest with his mitts. He's got moves that yeah, just don't seem to end every now and then and he's really pissed off if you take the puck away from him or <laughs> if he does if you do he's getting it back and it's you know he yeah. does get it back and then he just turns around and scores and he doesn't care about who else is open <laughs> if that's the case i'm scoring because that's all there is to it uh, yeah. but there was one time in a squamal uh, cliff couldn't make it and uh but kyle wellwood was there um Tiger Williams was sort of our leader for that day. We had a lot of ex-NHL guys that were there, ex-Canucks. Um, and Kyle was sort of our star because Kyle's a really phenomenal yeah. hockey player as well. And he was still young. This is his first game with the alumni. He had, uh, I think he'd retired two seasons before. Okay. So he still had crazy wheels. His hands are unbelievable. So silky. Yeah. Anyways, um, we're out there and we're playing against the, uh, the Naval team. Uh, it's their all-star team. So they've got this huge tournament, cross-Canada uh, military tournament, the best of the best military players. And some of these guys can play, man. Like, they're so good. But they're used to full contact. <laughs> and Tiger Williams, we have two periods, two 20-minute periods and uh, stop periods too, which is not a lot of fun for guys in their 40s and 50s, <laughs> playing against guys in their, you know, late teens to early 30s yeah. who can you know, who can really wheel. Anyway, so um, we're playing, We're after the first period, we're getting smoked. It's 6-1 for them. Okay. And Tiger's like, he's getting upset. He's really upset on the bench. Like, man, what are we doing out there? Guys, what are we doing? And if you know Tiger, if you know his personality, he's, he's an aggressive guy. He's super sweet. He's a really nice guy, but he's very aggressive when something's not, you know, going the way it should be going. For example, this charity game that we're supposed to be putting on a show for, and, uh, and, you know, we're losing bad. We're getting embarrassed and he's getting embarrassed, but these guys are pushing us around. So we're not expecting to get hit. We're not expecting to get jabs, um, yeah. you know, slashed or anything like that. And at one point, Tiger almost goes after this one guy and Tiger's in his, well, I guess he's in his late sixties now, something like that, but he's still tough as nails. He, yeah. his fists are as hard as his table. And, uh, uh, and I've heard that he's had the altercation or two in the past that's, you know, He's had to, you know, get into a little bit of a tussle at one point. But anyways, there was one time where I thought he was going to get into it with a guy because he was getting so pissed the guy was slashing at him. So anyways, in between periods, Tiger's, Tiger looks at me and says, come on, let's go over here and talk to these guys. I said, okay. So we walk in. And I'm like, hey, boys, how's it going? Hey, how are you? And uh, Tiger says, look, we're not here to win the game necessarily, but we're here to put on a show. So 
take her down a notch, boys. We're in our 60s and 50s. Like, we're just yeah. here to have fun and, and let our guys do their show. And maybe we should have had this discussion before. And you could see the faces of these guys just shocked. And, and <laughs> we're like, oh, sorry. We thought, and he's like, you know, you, you, you got your own little tournament. You can beat us. Go ahead. But yeah. take her down a notch. And uh, one guy says, well, you know, you guys should be able to step up and play. And Tiger said, okay, well, we'll play that way too. Then. That's fine. <laughs> Continue on. Yeah. So we walk out and uh, we come out for the, the second period and they score a goal right away, the 7-1. And uh, Tiger, it was Tiger, myself, and Wellwood on the same line. And he looks, crosses over me, he looks at Wellwood and he says, hey, Welly, step it up. And Kyle <laughs> kind of looks at him like, yeah. oh, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, like, what are you doing out there? I said, oh, I didn't know. I thought we were just kind of playing a game of pick up and let them win. He's like, no, no. <laughs> like, now I want to win, he says. Yeah. Kyle goes out there, and these guys are still being chippy, still playing hard. And Kyle scored eight goals <laughs> and, uh, and had an assist on two, and we won 11 to, yeah, it was 11 to seven. <laughs> Jeez, eh? All in one 20-minute like, run? And yeah, Kyle, like literally you couldn't get the puck up a Kyle stick. He was out yeah. there for five-minute shifts and, you know, <laughs> boom, 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 scoring three goals, four goals in the shift and, and then, yeah. okay, all right. And they, the guys couldn't score on us other than that because our big guys, because we had Babbage, we had, yeah. you know, uh, some, some older guys, but they could shut it down. Butcher, Garth Butcher was there. Uh, and they shut the guys completely down and, and it, there was no more goals coming from them. And Wellwood just took over. <laughs> it's <was> crazy. <laughs> it's so fun to watch. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like, you looked like Tiger looked over at you and, and Wellwood and he's like, all right guys, you know, we're not going to beat him on the score sheet. We're going to, we're going to beat him, you know, yeah. <laughs> putting, on, putting on the, Hey Aaron, put on the foil, Aaron, let's go. Let's go. But, yeah, I, I pretty much have to. I had been called a pit bull at one point, but not uh, <laughs> not in that situation. Not against military guys. And Kyle, I don't think Kyle's ever had a fight in his entire life. So. <laughs> no. That's why he was uh, so slick getting around, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gonna, I was going to say, the Canuck fans that listen to this are going to go, where was this eight-goal, two-assist night when he was uh, playing, <laughs> you know, Calgary in, in December? <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Well, you want to know the most embarrassing thing for me? was that I was on the ice for all of those uh, goals or assists with Kyle, and I got yeah. one assist out of oh, all really? of that. That was it. <laughs> but he would get the puck. He'd get the puck off the face off and be gone. That was yeah. it. Nobody got, nobody got assists. Yeah. You know what, Kyle? I remember when he, he – I can't remember how he ended up here in Vancouver, if it was waivers or what. From but, Toronto. Yeah, yeah. But he – I, I mean, his, his hands were just like – even on a team are. with the Sedins and everything it's yeah I don't think the hands ever really leave a guy but I just remember thinking man if he could just get in shape he would be unstoppable but it just seemed like he just never really wanted to so he still jokes about it too I love the guy he's so great really? he's got an awesome family and, and yeah, yeah he loves Vancouver and doesn't want to doesn't want to move away from here but he his uh his his hands are incredible and he just says this, this body does not work out I don't <laughs> Period. Oh, that's man. cool. And he's still phenomenal to watch on skates, man. I tell you, yeah. and he's a sweet guy. He's a really nice guy. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what are you up to nowadays? Like, uh, like you said, touring stopped. I mean, what have you mm -hmm. been doing to fill your time? Well, 
I've been trying to do a whole bunch of different things to kind of diversify, not just keep busy. I actually want to build from here. Uh, I just turned 50 this year. So I know my career is not, you know, I don't have another 20 years left in me to, you know, keep releasing music to radio and touring and, and trying to be a, a forefront artist relevant to uh, country music. But um, what I've been trying to do is, is do different things. And uh, first of all, one of the cool things that I'm doing lately is uh, recording a uh, uh, recording. I'm, I'm writing a book. I just started writing a book because I've got so many different stories throughout my whole life, not just from uh, the road and my career, but I've got personal stories that are both really funny. Um, crazy things have happened that I really have to put into words. And I think people are going to yeah. be really entertained by them, but there's also an element of, um, excuse me, an element of uh, my, my life started out pretty terrible. And I'll just put it that way without, I'm not crying the blues, but it did, it started out very terrible, terribly. And, and, and eventually, you know, I, I always had a personal attitude that, you know, things can only get better from here, even from a really, really young age. So I want to tell that story and, and give people uh, an idea of who I am, where I come from, you know, some of the really great stories that have happened along the way, but that there is, uh, you know, not necessarily a happy ending, but it's all, it's all culminated into having a, a great career and, and being able to have a really great family and, and focusing on that and all the good things in life. And then besides that, uh, I have a, a podcast that I'm starting as okay. well. So I'm going to be doing something like this uh, very soon and really looking forward to getting that out and showing the world, you know, uh, that different side of me and having it all sort of encompass everything from hockey from, to music to everyday life. So kind of like what you're doing right now. So, but with a, element in your case um uh and other than that uh i just bought a house that i'm renovating uh i've got renovations starting on that soon and hopefully we're going to document that and possibly sell it to a network because it could be kind of interesting and we, we will have some funny storylines to go along with it that's for sure and it's a beautiful house from nanaimo and um well it's terrible it's actually uh piece of junk house but <laughs> we're going <laughs> to renovate it into hopefully something beautiful with an incredible view uh, of yeah. the ocean so and then aside from that um i was just approached recently about doing a, a documentary so okay. well, somebody wants to do a documentary on me so i, I i'm i'm into that but i want to get the book uh pretty much written before that happens and then yeah oh no we'll see so I mean, uh, other than that, I've been playing music and trying to uh, record and, and, you know, the voice just isn't as much as it, it's not as in shape. So when I go and do a show right now, it's like, ah, ah <laughs> all over the place because uh, I don't get, I don't get to go run around stage and sing, you know, yeah. uh, basically yelling uh, in key <laughs> like I, uh, like I would when I'm on the road. So I just usually just pick this little baby up and start playing and, and uh, writing writing songs here and there and, and just basically uh, trying to keep busy. Yeah. Have you done any sort of live stream or anything like that? I know a lot of bands out there, that's kind of what they're, they're coming into. And, and granted, some of them are, I think, just trying to stay more relevant and they're, they're trying to build up, but yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to be a common thing. Yeah, I did. I did a, um, I did a couple of live stream things. I did a pre-taped uh, full band thing where we all sent around tracks to each other of us playing and singing and, uh, that that was really awesome. That was the very beginning of COVID. I think we were one of the very first groups to do that. Okay, um, was me and my band. And then uh, aside from that, I started a show on Instagram. I did a one hour, um, just sort of 
just sitting here like this and, and randomly talking, playing a couple songs, maybe okay. interviewing people as well. And yeah, it was kind of like a podcast on Instagram that I did for an hour called, it originally was called Quarantunes. And then everybody started coming out with Quarantunes because it's not a very original name, <laughs> really, not, not during quarantine and COVID. So um, yeah, I was doing that for quite a while. And, and that's what kind of led me to uh, the idea of, of actually legitimately sitting down starting a podcast so that's that's the next thing and I, I'd love to be able to do a live podcast which is from what I understand through friends it's not super easy but it is doable yeah I mean I'm nowhere near that but uh, I've listened to a few of those and it, it seems like just you know no room for error in those and so that's the nice thing I have I a producer that'll clean up this if there's anything wrong with it but oh uh, good <laughs> But you know what, that, for me, that's the beauty of it. I, I love to mess up. I'm a goof. I'm a, I'm a ham at the best of times. And I just, yeah. I love to have it raw and screw up when I'm singing and I'm not singing good that day. It's noticeable and I don't care. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's the, the, the real side of it. And I think people admire that. They, they yeah. appreciate that you're, you're a real person and they're not, you're not singing, you know, well, definitely not singing to tracks, which is, you know, what some people have done. So no, uh, I think uh, I think having that raw element to it is very important for me, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that book too. Uh, what have you started writing that or started writing that? Yeah, I, I've I've got a million stories, uh, but I always thought well, I'm, I'm going to sit down and start writing one day. And it just turns out I I had to turn fifty for that to happen, sadly. <laughs> but I uh, <laughs> fifty in a global pandemic, and then you thought, okay, now I'm going to do it. Hmm, what can I do? Oh, I'll write a book. <laughs> uh, no, I, I decided that uh, now was time. And then as soon as my fingers touched the, the keyboard, uh, things just poured out. So yeah. my my way of starting, I wasn't going to start from the beginning of the book. I was going to write pieces of the book, you know, from who knows where they're going to end up in the book at what point. <clears throat> and I started on a story that uh, tells about when I was 18, uh, my girlfriend at the time who turned into my wife now she's my ex-wife I love her to death she's still an awesome person um but her and I went to Mexico with a couple friends and it tells uh, so far I've literally written what could be a chapter's worth and I'm only at two days into the story of probably 50 days it was about wow. a month and a half we were down there in Mexico yeah. for it's so many it started off so, so excuse me it started off so crazy and got crazier and crazier and uh, the things that happen along the way, it's just, it's incredibly entertaining. And I already, I already uh, uh, let two people read what I've written so far, because I want to validate that I can write and people can understand what I'm saying and not just jumping all over the place um, and making full sense of, of how the story, you know, the story's pattern and the story uh, unfolds. And they were like, this is already so awesome. This is so cool that, you know, I understand. I totally envisioned what you're saying. I was descriptive enough. And, and you know, with smells and sounds and, you know, tastes and all the senses are, you know, the, people get what I went through, even in the first two days. So now I've got uh, <laughs> about a, another month and a half's worth of a story to tell that, that ends pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm really digging it, getting into it and looking forward to, all these different chapters and different stories that I get to tell, including my hockey life, which uh, is, is up there besides my kids. Um, and uh, my, my family and friends is a very important aspect of my life. And, and not just, it doesn't define me, but it also 
uh, it does, you know, it's a part of my, my fabric and my, my history that is so important and helped me turn into the person that I am today. Yeah, that, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's one question I did want to ask you is, is playing hockey growing up as a kid and, and then it, obviously you've, you've led into a successful music career. What do you take from what you learned from your days playing hockey that, that transitioned into success in a different, entirely different arena? Totally. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I took from hockey was uh, being on a team, being a team player. Um, I was always about the team. I love scoring and I love, you know, getting assists and I love, you know, uh, being on a championship team, but the, that team aspect is really what I took into um, my music career. When uh when I, when I first got into it, I was working with these musicians who I thought were just great musicians, but we didn't really gel. We didn't really get along that well. And over time, and literally it took, you know, I, I was the GM of my team and, and I, I, it took me a long time to, you know, get my Stanley Cup team is the way I kind of look at it. Every member on my team, on my, on my, in my band is, uh, uh, you know, people that are incredibly talented, first of all, but secondly, are equally incredible people. Um, and we all get along extremely well. We are family. And, yeah. you know, we've toured together. We've had, to, we've had to live on a bus for two and a half months together, you know, at, on different tours that we've done, trips that we've done. So you, you literally got to uh, have the best of the best. Um, but besides that, you have to have the best of the best people, um, personality-wise in order to uh to be successful on the road and i really really feel like i got that and i i got that mentality and thought process from hockey from knowing we need the best team players but also we need to gel as people together in order to make this whole ball roll yeah. and uh and that's you know the best teams that you see out there that win cups is very few that have that one guy that is you know he stands out above everybody else but knows it and doesn't really care much about his team. Um, you know, the Kovalevs of the world, Alexi Kovalevs and yeah. you know, guys like that who were a little self-serving for such a long time and didn't get really a chance to win because of that. Uh, they stand out and that's what happens with my band. My band really stands out because we're all, we're all a team. And that's what I, I took most from hockey. And uh, no matter who the superstar is on the team, McDavid, for example, or Dreisaitl, those guys are, those guys are ingrained into the team. They're all team members. And, you know, it is kind of cliche, but I believe those guys when they say in interviews, you know, well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I might have scored four goals tonight, but really it took our team to win this, this game. And, and that's true. And that's the way I look at it with, uh, with my music career and, and with live shows. That's such a great answer. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I totally agree with that. I think hockey is one of the, like, you know, I mean, I'm a bit of a basketball fan, but hockey's definitely that one sport that, you know, there's no uh, no LeBron James or anyone like that who's saying, yeah, you know, I'm the reason we won this championship. So it's uh, it's refreshing to hear that that you translated that into music and you've kept, uh, and uh, you know, music is no different. I think there's some guys that you, you just feel like they feel like they're the ones, even though songs might be, you know, ghost written and they got a bunch oh, yeah. of guys helping on the back end and, and they think it's all of them. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've really met awesome. many guys like that. I've met many, many artists like that. <clears throat> I've met a lot of hockey players like that too, as a matter <laughs> of fact. And uh, but when you get when you get those artists like that who um, are very self-serving, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better term, 
um, then they uh, that really you know that that eventually starts to show its true colors and that affects them down the road. Um, when uh, when you get a guy like myself or Dallas or or Dean Brody or Tim Hicks or these guys, we're all similar like minded in the way that you know we we're just a part of the band. We're just a part of the crew. You know, the bus driver is a part of our family. The you know the whoever's uh, the roadie, the roadie on on our tour, they're part of the team. I got to know them. Yeah. I gotta, we want to have them a part of what we do, so that nobody feels like you know the boss is talking or you know the superstar of the show is talking or anything like that. Um, and and I not only that, but it also what I noticed with myself and with other guys uh, uh, and girls and groups in the industry who are like that. We support one another. We're not on the same label. We're not, you know, we don't have the same management company. We don't have the same agent, but I support them because I don't care if I'm, I'm not benefiting from it. I want to support them. I want to see this industry work because if it works for you, it's going to work for all of us. And, uh, and again, that's sort of that team mentality in order to move forward and, and benefit from it. That's true. And I think you'll find when you start your podcast, cause I know I've gone through this too, is that it seems like a lot of people out there that have agreed to do the show, they've got their own shows as well. And they, that's what I've been told yeah. is if you can succeed, that means that we're succeeding all, you know, yeah. rising tide raises all ships. And, uh, and it's been really, uh, for me, I, I can only speak from my own experience in this venture, but it's been really cool to see. And so, uh, I wish you all the best with, with the book, with the podcast. I'm sure there are guys hoping to maybe piece together some of their nights at roosters and some of the chapters of your book. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got rather, a lot of chapters <laughs> that could be a whole book on its own, Aaron. More that could I be should. like, that could be Aaron, <laughs> yeah. Aaron's book part two, man. Just, roosters <laughs> but, but i want to thank so you for uh for taking the time to do this and um you know all the best to you and your family i hope you guys are staying safe and looking forward to seeing what the uh, the vancouver canucks can do this upcoming year absolutely fingers crossed that they go uh just as deep as they did last year in the playoffs and man thanks for having me i appreciate it, ryan and, and i look forward to chatting with you again sometime absolutely appreciate that my pleasure Thanks again to Aaron for coming on and sharing some stories and to you, the listener. And as always, guys, make sure to rate and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.